Welcome to the Everyday Gospel Podcast, conversations with individuals who are living out their callings beyond the four walls of the church and discovering how to embody the gospel of Jesus in their everyday life. Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Gospel Podcast. Today, we've got a special interview. Usually, we are interviewing uh, laity, individuals uh, who are living out their call outside the walls of the church. But today, um, we want to make sure we get an interview with a clergy person. um, Because yes, we see the clergy. Clergy are a part of this conversation. And so I am excited to be interviewing literally one of my favorite clergy people in the world, the Reverend Jay Farrell. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Seriously, Jay, you are one of my favorite people. You're one of my closest friends. And yeah, one of my favorite uh, clergy folk um, in the world, the best boss I've ever had. Um, and uh, I'm just really excited to get you on this, in this interview because I, um, if we're really going to center the conversations and the voices, the stories of lay people, we're going to need clergy on board with that. And I've just watched you be that champion for the laity. Um, you've made space for me as a lay person, but also for many of my students and for many other folks um, in our district. And I, I'm just really, really uh, excited to get you to sort of talk to us a little bit about your perspective on the laity. So thanks for being with us today. No, it's my privilege, and Derek knows he's making my skin crawl with all those compliments. There's, there's another Jay around here somewhere, but that's okay. You're stuck with me for a little bit. You're the best, Jay. So the best. So, Jay, just tell us a little bit about your journey of faith, how you came to faith, and even maybe how you discerned your call into ministry. So I am one of those folks who never had kind of a amazing, an amazing story that just was a a lightning flash that helped me to come to know Jesus. I would be one of those people who actually could say, I just don't remember a day in my life when I haven't known Jesus, Um, which I I think both are really good. And I think sometimes we downplay the folks who just can't remember when they didn't know Jesus. Um, I was born kind of into the church. My dad was a pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And my, actually his dad, my grandfather was also a PCUSA pastor. And so I grew up in the church. So we were, I was always there because he was the pastor of our church. And um, I, I just 
can't remember not ever knowing Jesus and singing about Jesus and hearing sermons about Jesus and learning about Jesus and VBS and all those sorts of things. So when my dad was, let's see, I would be seven. So he was about 37 years old. He left the ministry and we stopped going to church entirely. And um, I really missed it. Mm. And then uh, the Methodist church in town, I grew up in Apopka, Florida, just outside of Orlando. Uh, the Methodist church got a new pastor, uh, Ken Routon, came to First Methodist Apopka. And his wife, Sandy, started teaching school, and she was on my mom's sixth grade team. And his youngest son, Matthew, was one week older than me. And we were in the same class and we got to know each other well. And so I started attending First Methodist Church in Apopka and I just loved it. I was confirmed there. Um, so I've, I've never been anything other than a confirmed Methodist. And I really kind of credit, even though I grew up in the church with my dad, I credit First Methodist Apopka with really kind of where I began to understand my faith and get into youth ministry and and then went to college uh, in the upstate of South Carolina. Both of my grandmothers lived in the upstate of South Carolina. Both of them were very devout in their faith. My, my dad's mom, who we just called grandmother, is by far and away uh, the person of deepest faith that I've mm. ever, ever known in my entire life. I'm fairly certain, without exaggeration, she had the entire Bible memorized, Genesis to Revelation. Wow. Uh, and I just, I'd go to church with them on the weekends at college. And uh, so I, I can't give you an exact date uh, as to when I became a Christian. I've just kind of always known Jesus and always loved Jesus. So, Well, I, I can so relate to that, my uh, great-grandmother uh, she was, you know, she was the matriarch of the family, still is from heaven. And uh, she was actually how I found myself in church spaces growing up. Uh, I, we'd be at church four days a week because she had stuff that we were committed to. So right. She would commit us to uh, four days a week. Um, and then she'd take me on church trips. And so I so relate. But man, like uh, that journey uh, for you that you're that you're a PK and then all of a sudden like not in church at all. Right. And, and then coming back to church uh, because of a, 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 a open pastor, but also like the family of that pastor. I just think that that that's, Oh man, I didn't even know that you were PC USA. Hmm. Yeah. I tell people I was predestined to be a Methodist. So. <laughs> I love it. So tell me, tell me more about that. So Where'd you end up, what you end up doing in undergrad and how that sort of leads you to where you are yeah. now? So since I was five years old, I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I want, before I was five years old, I was, so I, let me back up a moment. So for any of your uh, listeners who are old like me uh, and actually watched an old 80s TV show called Family Ties, um, I, mean, I was... I we was are, out speaking. We are close in age, Jay, but if we're going to be old people, we're going to be old people together. Well, so I was Alex Peking growing I up. I remember Alex. I do. Yep. Uh, complete with the briefcase and everything. So, oh, so cool. <laughs> um, before I was five, I wanted to be the president of IBM. But, um, but when I became five, I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to run for public office one day. 
And so uh, from five years old, this is how Enneagram three I am. Um, everything was pinned towards that. And it was just taking the next hill, taking the next goal, reaching it, moving on. That's how threes work. So, um, so in college, I was a double major. I was political science uh, and accounting. And then I went accounting, uh, accounting. Yep. I yes. know exactly. Yep. Mm. And then I went from uh, Presbyterian College in Clinton, South Carolina, to the University of Florida, Go Gators, uh, for <laughs> law school. And uh, it was on the very first day of law school, first class, first hour. Um, I met a woman named Kendra Biggs. Uh, she was sitting in front of me uh, in torts class. And, uh, and obviously we kind of got to know each other fa fairly well since we celebrate our 20th year wedding anniversary in about two weeks. So, oh, um, so cool. So uh, we started dating and we knew we wanted obviously to get married. And Kendra was really insistent that she wanted to get married in the church that we were going to be a part of. And so we kind of looked for churches. We knew we were going to move back to the Orlando area. And a good friend of ours had suggested that we try Asbury United Methodist Church in Maitland, which is another suburb of Orlando. And we did, and we never left it. It just, mm. it grabbed us the first Sunday. Um, I could, I could take you to the folks who we met on that first day and they grabbed, they were just wonderful lay folks. Uh, one of them happened to be a lawyer. Um, it was a God thing who just walked up to us and said, you look like you're new. And they just took us under their wing. And um, we just, Asbury, we still call Asbury our home church. Yeah. And so the summer of our first year in law school, we were in worship one Sunday and Paul Dickinson was the pastor the senior pastor, Brian Carr was the associate pastor. Uh, Paul was preaching and I just had this overwhelming feeling, which I now would say was the Holy Spirit, come across me and the words that I very clearly heard in my head were, you should be up there doing that mm. while, while he was preaching. And I immediately said, well, that's just dumb because I have my whole life pointed towards becoming a lawyer and I'm in law school and I have lots of student loans to prove it. And <laughs> absolutely not. Okay. But I was also clerking for a law firm in my first summer and I didn't like it. I just didn't enjoy it, but I was just way too deep and I was running from that call. I wouldn't have recognized the call at that time. But I just got deeper and deeper into Asbury and more involved into, at Asbury. Even as a law school student living in the holy city of Gainesville, I <laughs> was, I'll throw a few of those in there, sorry. Um, I expected, Jay. I was hoping yeah. we were going to get a few of those, so yeah. we're good. I, I just, I would do, I would like get involved in ministries. There was a single parent ministry that Kendra and I loved, and I actually ended up becoming the lay leader at Asbury. Um, still kind of feeling that I was probably supposed to do something church related, but way too scared to do anything other than what I thought I was supposed to have done my whole life. 
And so I graduated from law school, took a job with a firm, a large firm in Orlando. And uh, I, I was, you know, I broke the first year record for billable hours. No first year associate had ever billed the amount I had. That mm. sounds good. It's probably not because it meant I haven't no, had no life. Um, and I just was miserable. Mm. And I would wake up in the morning and I would be very excited if I had something I needed to do for church that day. And I would not be very excited about driving into the office and billing 10, 12 hours for that day. Wow. Yeah. And I always have identified with Jacob's wrestling match with God in Genesis 32 mm-hmm. because I just always felt like God and I were wrestling. And the first time I, I, I actually, I finally kind of said, you know what? God must not be calling me to be a pastor because who in their right mind would ever want to be that? That is nuts. So he must be calling me to help people. So I'll volunteer on a board in the community and God wouldn't leave me alone. And I said, all right, you know, I will, um, what if I was like a professor, I could like teach students and that would be a help to people. And, and that, that must be what God's calling me to be. And then it was, uh, no, you know, I've always said I wanted to run for public office. Maybe that would be a help to people. I could, I could do that. I, you know, and so I even put my whole campaign team together to run for city commissioner. Uh, in a wow. And God was just beating me upside the head. I mean, he was like, boy, you are not listening to me. And I couldn't sleep and I really couldn't eat. And I ordered a catalog from Asbury Theological Seminary, and I vividly remember it arriving in the mailbox. And I vividly remember opening the mailbox, pulling it out, walking inside the house, and throwing it in the trash can. Never opened it and shut it. But I'm awesome. not doing this, God. <laughs> Listen to me. Mm. And finally, about six weeks later, after not sleeping and eating and just feeling horrible, I ordered a second catalog and I opened the cover and like, oh, I don't want to do this. But mm. I just felt like that's what God was calling me to do. So I, uh, I applied, got in. We decided I was going to do that. I took my resignation letter to the senior partner of our law firm, who was actually the, the partner I worked for. Uh, his name was Charlie Sheffield, who was a, he's passed away now. He is a, a man of deep, deep faith. Mm-hmm. And I said, Charlie, I guess I need to quit because I, I, I know God is calling me to become a pastor. I need, I've got to go to seminary. And he looked at me and he said, well, our law firm has sent six other attorneys to seminary. So I guess we're going to have to pay for a seventh. And I was totally blown away. Uh, I had no idea that six other lawyers at the firm had gone to seminary and uh, the firm let me work uh, three days a week. They let me work part-time, which law firms never do. Mm. And they paid me my full salary and um, th- they were just wonderful. It was, it was totally wow. from start to finish. Wow, man. I mean, talk about God making a way. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so, you 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 uh, end up becoming ordained in the United Methodist Church as an elder. Yep. yep. And uh, I know you served a few churches before you got up here to Northeast Florida as our district superintendent. Yep. Served um, three. And that is um, 
our our connection really began when you moved up here, became our district superintendent, and um, I experienced you and still experience you um, as such a champion of campus ministry, almost to the point that um, it's unbelievable to me and unbelievable to many of our uh, the folks that work in CCW, just how much of a champion you have been over these last few years. Uh, so I just want to divert for a minute and just sort of ask like, why, why is campus ministry so important to you? So I adore campus ministry um, for several reasons. One, uh, my, my undergraduate school had multiple campus ministries involved. And um, for whatever reason, I went to the Presbyterian one uh, at my school. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it was the upbringing. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you know what? I think it was because my roommate was Presbyterian. But um, so I, I saw firsthand and I'm, I'm a personal uh, recipient of God's grace through campus ministry. So it has a personal place in my heart. Um, but as a superintendent, I think we, I want to say this the right way. We, we tend to cater to people who tend to have the most financial resources to help the church. Hmm. Um, and that is very rarely our younger folks because they're just getting started in life and they're maybe not making very much money or they're buying homes or starting families or whatever it is. Um, they have lots of student loan debt and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and I have just watched in way too many places where folks who are on the younger end of the spectrum have no voice and mm -hmm. it's, just, it, it's, it's really ministry malpractice is what it is. So, um, and then as a superintendent, the first thing I did intentionally and would do it the very same way if I had to do it all over again, was I vis visited every single church in the district uh, over four months. And so many churches would say to me when I would ask them, tell me something that you need to work on. I said, I would ask three things. I'd say, tell me something that's great where God is working in your church, tell me a place where you, you know, you need to work and then tell me how I can help. And often the, the question about where do you need to, to work or what's a challenge or what have you was, we don't have any young people. I thought, well, you do, you have a campus ministry. You have, and in the Northeast district, I mean, let's just be honest with all due respect to our other campus ministries. We have the best most relevant, and I'm not just saying this, friends, I think what is the campus ministry that is probably what the future of campus ministry needs to look like already exists in the Northeast District through CCW. And wow. so I would very quickly just say to folks, did you know you have like 150, 200 young people in your church? And they said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you, you have them on the campuses of Jacksonville University, and the University of North Florida and Flagler College through Campus to City Wesley. Um, and, and they're doing a really good job and they're making new disciples and they do, as Derek has heard me say before, and I absolutely mean this, a better job at leadership development really than any church that I know. 
Um, so you do and support them, support them financially, support them spiritually, pray for them, volunteer for them, fix food for them. You know, start embracing this, folks. If you don't have any kids in your church, you do. Just stop that mindset and go go help these folks. You know, they need to know Jesus. They do know Jesus, and they're doing really good things for Jesus. So I just I I think I think we sometimes forget we have assets, and because it's not here and now. Right. And so that that's why campus ministry is so important to me. It is part of our strategy of reaching people for Jesus. joining us for today's episode of the Everyday Gospel Podcast. We hope you're enjoying it. If you'd like to hear the students' thoughts on this podcast, consider joining us at patreon.com ccw and giving it at least the $5 a month level. On Patreon, we provide exclusive content for patrons, including the student discussion portion of the Everyday Gospel Podcast. We hope you'll consider giving, and thank you for listening. I mean, and you, this is not the first time I've heard you say it. Um, it's not the first time I've seen your passion really come through when you start talking about campus ministry. Um, and it has meant so much, um, particularly because um, I am a layperson leading that campus ministry. And so it, your passion for campus ministry to me was also experienced as your support and championing of laity being involved in the church in meaningful ways. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you see uh, the non-ordained in the church. What's your view of them and um, how you think about their ministry um, as it relates to the church? I have a really good friend that I quote all the time who says that we are not laity by default. Uh, and he happens to be on this podcast with me. So I quote Derek Scott with that all the time. And before I even knew that Derek said it, the lay leader in my district that I was in before I came up here used to quote Derek. I just didn't, she never said it was you. So uh, I thought it was a different person. Then I found out it was Derek. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with it being a different person. <laughs> but it's a true statement. And here's the problem. Um, we clergy, and I love clergy, and I'm one of them, but sometimes we get too caught up in ourselves, and we think we are all that and a bag of chips, and the problem with that is, even if we are, and let's be honest, we're not, because we are broken human beings just like everyone else, and we have faults and foibles just like everyone else, me at the top of the list, mm. um, if everything has to funnel through us, then the size of the church and the size of the movement is automatically limited to our bandwidth. Yeah. And some of us have bigger bandwidths than others, but no one has an infinite bandwidth except the Holy Spirit. Right. And the truth is, as the Holy Spirit has taken this into consideration already through the priesthood of all believers. And so 
why would we ever want to limit our reach through just clergy? Hmm. That's just crazy. And we have so many gifted, amazing lay people who have these spiritual gifts and have these talents and skills and networks and resources that can be used. And we don't tap into them nearly enough. And I think one day we're going to get to heaven and and Jesus is going to look at us and say, what were y'all doing? I, <laughs> I gave you all this help and you just let them sit there in the pews and you never asked them to do anything mm. and you never equipped them and you never empowered them to go out and do stuff. So, I mean, it's a little cliche, but you know, you, you sometimes you see in churches that have bulletins, you'll see this phrase like, um, there's there we have a pastor but everyone is a minister or something like that idea but mm-hmm. I actually like that you know i am a pastor i'm an ordained pastor but every one of us is a minister yes. and i tell people all the time i don't care if you're a school teacher you are an ambassador for jesus second corinthians 5 that is appointed to a schoolroom to tell people your kids and your coworkers about jesus if you're a firefighter you're an ambassador for jesus who's appointed to a firehouse if you're a business person, you are appointed an ambassador appointed to an office. You know, you could take that on and on. Um, we just, we limit things. We limit the scope and the work of the Holy Spirit when it's got to be just about clergy. That's just nuts. So. Wow. That, I mean, that was so spot on, Jay. I, I, lo- I love how you say, like, uh, individuals appointed to a classroom. Uh, how... How would you advise laity to discern their calls? Well, there's lots of ways you can do that. Um, I think one of the ways to do it is just to talk with a trusted mentor who, who has a really deep spiritual and theological grounding. I think another way is to maybe to, to go through some sort of an exercise where you find out your spiritual gifting, you learn how you're wired and you, you discern your passion. And I'm kind of borrowing and stealing from Willow Creek here, but you know, in there, I love their network class because it, it helped you discover your gifting. It helped you figure out if you were people oriented or task oriented, and then it helped you decide what your passion was. And I really do believe when a, your gifts and your wiring and your passion all meet, that is a sweet spot. Um, like we, we had a, uh, at the last church I served before coming on the district, we had a, a wonderful husband and wife. They're still dear friends of ours. And, you know, the husband had been put on the finance committee and he had served there and he'd served on staff parish. And then he took network and he figured out that he was, um, he had the gift of helps he was task oriented and he had a passion for cooking and he hated being on the finance committee and he dreaded staff parish meetings, Mm. but he then took over. He became like the volunteer chef for the church and he didn't have to deal with people. It was task oriented and it used his gift of helps and he had all these amazing skills and talents at cooking and I've never seen a happier person in ministry ever, you know, wow. I mean, so I just, I think that's one way. I think people, I think we need to 
help people figure that out. I think it's hard for folks on their own to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, and I do believe that that is maybe the place that um, we may need clergy to lean in. Yep, um, I, I, I wonder if, you know, it, it's powerful to hear a clergy person say that you are not laity by default. And so if you are a lay person hearing that from your pastor, the hope is that the next thing they would say is, so we've got to really figure out why you've been called to lay ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I do, I mean, I, I hope that our clergy are asking the question, like not just how we pack the pews and, and get people in the room, but how do we help everyday individuals discover who Christ has asked them to be for the sake of the mission? Well, that's just Wesleyan. I mean, yeah. Wesley would say that discipleship is both and. It is both evangelism and, and introducing people to Jesus, and it's then the sanctification piece of growing into the likeness of Jesus, discovering yeah. your gifts, and using them. Yeah. Um, we would, at the last church I served, we put a really intentional process in place where we would help new folks and we made a lot of new Christians at that church, but we would take them through Alpha uh, to start with. And then from Alpha, they would go into network. And so they would kind of learn the basics of Christianity and then kind of discover their passion and uh, orientation and, and, and spiritual gifts. And then they ended uh, sitting down on a one-on-one -on -one session with two or three folks that we had. And they would help literally plug them in to ministry areas around the church based on their passion, spiritual gifts, and, uh, and wiring. Um, and sometimes it didn't work. I don't want to sound like it was perfect, but, uh, but a lot of the time it did. And uh, it helped us retain those folks in the church. But much more importantly, it helped unleash them and release them to be at work in the community. So. Wow. Love it. Again, Jay, I, I appreciate this perspective, um, and I hope that if there are any clergy listening, that uh, you'd hear these words from uh, someone in your order who is lifting up the importance of investing in and helping laity understand their call to ministry um, in the same way that we would do that for our clergy candidates, mm -hmm. um, to take that, that journey seriously. I want to just uh, divert just a little bit because one of the other pieces that I really appreciated about um, our work and life together was your support of mental health um, and taking care of our mental health as we are in ministry. I mean, and it's and it's such a uh, for some people it might be a small thing, but you know, whenever there was a disaster here in Northeast Florida. Um, hurricane or something like that, you would call all of your clergy and ministry leaders. And while I think I, I saw that as a pastoral thing that you did um, and a management piece too, right? But I also saw that as sort of a check-in on our mental health, how we were actually doing. And I've watched you um, in the lives of so many of us, um, including myself, really um, take seriously the state of our mental health. So just wanted you to kind of speak to the role of mental health in the life of ministry uh, for 
ordained people definitely, but for all of us, like how, how do you see that playing a role in our lives? Yeah, before I'm, I will answer that, but give me just one second before I do. Let me flip back to the previous topic just briefly. Sure. I will say this. I have said this to clergy and laity in the Northeast District. If you are a church, and in particular, you want to learn how to do leadership development for laity well, I tell them, there, I, there, I don't have a church for you to go call, but I do have a campus ministry for you to go call. So, um, because CCW just does it well. They, they help, they give students responsibility. They, and they don't just give them kind of menial tasks. They give them real responsibility and then they help them understand that responsibility and then grow onto a next level and a next level and a next level. So if you're a lay person and you're listening and you want to know how to do that piece of the lay development well, um, call Campus the City Wesley and ask if you can watch them at work or sit in on a meeting or what have you. They will, they will teach you how to do that. So, um, Oh, Jay, I'm, I'm acting like you now when it comes to the compliment. So <laughs> God be praised. So back to the mental health piece. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was a, I had a big, um, I did have an aha moment about mental health in my life. Um, because again, as an Enneagram three, uh, we think we can do everything. Mm. We can think we, we think we can be all things to all people and we can keep all the balls up in the air at the same time. And of course, just like anyone else, at some point uh, we run out of juice and the balls begin to drop. And uh, Bishop Dick Wills once said to me that, again, probably a cliche phrase, that uh, you can't give what you don't have. And you can't be all of those things for all of those people if your tank is empty and if your mental health is bad and you're depressed or you're anxious or all of the different things that could be going on. Um, and for some reason, when he said that to me, it was like a light bulb moment. I'm sure it was the Holy spirit kind of thunking me on the head um, saying, Oh, you mean self-care is important. You know, I'll, I know that's kind of dumb because everyone knows this, but I'm hardheaded. So mm. um, not just you. <laughs> So, well, that's when I, I really began to take it seriously. And so uh, I have for large portions of my life gone to see a counselor. Um, sometimes because yucky things were happening and I just wanted to talk it through with some, somebody. When I was in a local church ministry, uh, I would go once a month. I called it my monthly oil change. It was just to go see someone and download, you know, some of the things that had happened and make sure I wasn't crazy or did I handle this right? Or was there a different perspective from a blind spot that I might have that I'm missing? Um, I would bring in a counselor to work with my staff twice a year. Uh, and we would kind of do group therapy as a staff. Um, we, I mean, we weren't like asking if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be or something like that? It was good, healthy team dynamics, but um, it was very helpful. And she would kind of help us see some blind spots as a team sometimes. Mm. And there occasionally be a staff member who was just annoying the heck out of all of us. And she would kind of help us pinpoint why it was, it was just, it was so helpful. 
And from that time on, I, we would just start budgeting every year, not a huge amount, but a thousand or $2,000. So that the staff members needed to go see a counselor for a period of time during the year if they could, because they can't give what they don't have either. Right. And I'm just a big believer that we all have blind spots, including me. And it helps to talk to someone who's an objective party, who's not in the midst of the drama and can say, hey, have you thought about it from this perspective? Or what would it look like if you did this? Or here's a way to begin to dial down uh, the anxiety. Or you're depressed and you need to go see a psychiatrist to get some help because this probably isn't going to get better just on its own. It's going to be a more faceted approach. Um, so I, I'm just a big believer in all of that. Uh, from clergy, um, I have just found, and I think it's probably true for, for including lay folks who serve in senior leadership roles like you do, it can be a very lonely place. And you might have a spouse and kids and a, you know, lots of siblings and parents, but it can still be a very lonely place. And you can be at a church of 2,000 people, and it can still be a very lonely place. In fact, maybe even more lonely. Um, and so I have just always been, as a superintendent, I have always had the idea that you got to check in on your people because they need someone to be their pastor. And they tell you when you become a superintendent that the old idea of being pastor to the pastors is over and it's a bad idea and you are always their supervisor no matter what and all that sort of stuff. And I just think it's total garbage. Um, yeah. I would never teach that if someone asked me to teach new superintendents. Um, it is just utterly ridiculous, in my opinion, that I can't be pastoral to you and still be a supervisor to you. Of course I can. If you do something wrong, I'm going to call you out on it in a loving way, and we will sit down together, and we will figure it out. And if I do something wrong, then my supervisor needs to do the same for me. But I can still love you, and I can still care about you, and I can still pray for you and check in on you. And if I don't do that, then I'm a pretty horrible Christian and a pretty mm. human being. So I, we just, we got to do a better job with that. That's, it's just not the way it should be. We should be modeling in the church for the world, what good mental health, good self-care looks like. And I sometimes think we're the worst of all. Wow. And again, that may be one of those many spaces that we need the laity to step in and, and show us, to give us tools. And um, I, oh, Jay, I've got so much, uh, so many notes from today's conversation. Um, as we're closing, I, I, more than likely there will be young college-age young adults uh, who probably are not going down the road of ordination uh, but want to be uh, a part of the mission of Jesus. They want to see their, their lives reflect the love and the grace of God in the world um, and in relevant, meaningful ways. They don't just want to be, as I say, butts and seats. They really do want to be the gospel on the ground. What advice would you give young laity who might be listening to this episode today? Um, so I think Generation Z is particularly good at this, um, and this is going to sound like I'm promoting Nike. Um, don't wait for permission. Just go do it. Mm. Uh, go into your pastor's office and say, I want to be in ministry. 
Um, so how can I do this? Um, if they tell you uh, we need someone to fold the bulletins, say, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, lovingly, I mean, be respectful, be nice, but just don't take no for an answer. I think Zs are really good about that. I don't I agree. They take much no for an answer. Um, and I think they're passionate about those things. And I don't let um, our older folks, again, that I love dearly, uh, sometimes they can be guilty of saying, we want young people in the church. And then when younger folks step up, they say, oh, but that's not the way we want it done. Um, just lovingly say uh, to them, well, we need to try it this way. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. If your pastor's not willing to back you up on that, then you're not at the right church probably. Um, so Say that. Say uh, that. Yeah. Probably need to find a church where the senior leadership, lay and clergy, are willing to fight for that. Um, if, you, if that church is not intentionally seeking to put lay folks, young lay folks in leadership, not for quota, but because they want their ministry to reflect excellence in reaching young people, you're not going to reach young people if you don't have young people in leadership. So I just don't take that for that no for an answer and go find someplace else that will and Pastors that don't like that, well, email me and I'll talk to you about it. So, Oh, man. Jay, thank you so much for just this fire interview. I this, Seriously, there's so many notes that I've got just from things that you said today. Um, just really grateful for your leadership, really grateful for your, um, your friendship especially and uh, your support of campus ministry um, and just praying God's blessing on you and Kendra and Paul and the dogs and um, you're just the best man. Thanks so much for being with us today, Jay. It's been my privilege and uh, to all my CCW folks out there, I love you guys and hope to see you soon. Beautiful. presented by Studio Wesley, the online ministry of Campus to City Wesley Foundation. Special thanks to all our partners, donors, and supporting churches. You can support Campus to City by heading to campustocity.org support or by following us on Patreon.